Hello, welcome back to the podcast and a happy new year. Happy 2023. I hope you had a really nice Christmas, um, new year, whatever you did. I hope you had a lovely time and it's great to be back doing the podcast again. These are the final two episodes in the Jonah series. Today we're looking at Jonah chapter four and next time we'll be looking at the sign of Jonah. I'm uploading both of them today so you can listen through to both of these episodes as we close up in our little series on Jonah. So I hope you enjoy. My name is Megan and here I talk about the Bible. I spend some time reading the commentaries and studying passages and then chat through here about what I've learned so you can learn that info on the go, doing your cleaning, while you work and I really hope this just feels like grabbing a coffee with me and doing a deep dive into scripture together. Let's get on with today's episode. So in the last episode we saw the people of Nineveh repent and we kind of looked at who these people were and why it was so surprising and shocking that they did repent and repent so quickly. And we got a sense that Jonah wasn't perhaps um, filled with joy, that <laughs> this is the outcome. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. After Jonah goes in and he prophesies to Nineveh, he's expecting it to be destroyed, but the people repent. And now he kind of goes off in a bit of a strop. And chapter four is an account of this drop um, and the kind of strange parable that um, God acts out involving Jonah to respond to Jonah, to try and teach Jonah something about what's happened and why he shouldn't be angry in the way that he is. So let's dive into it and start with verse one. Uh, just to say quickly as well, I'm sorry if there is a bit of background noise on this episode. Um, it's raining quite heavily and I live in a converted bus, so the rain sounds quite loud on the roof sometimes. So I'm sorry if that's distracting. Also, my cat is next door playing with a bell toy. Timed it really, really well. So you might hear her playing in the background. But anyway, verse one of chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That's the first verse. In other translations, it says that Jonah considered what happened like a great evil. He thought that it was wrong. It uses, a lot of them use that word, that he considered what happened to be wrong. He considers God's mercy a great evil. He's angry that people have repented and turned to God. So why is that? We touched a little bit last time on the reputation of the people of Nineveh and the Assyrians and we kind of talked about why it might be that Jonah particularly doesn't want them to um, receive mercy from God. But also I think there's something else going on here and that is pride. Let me read you an extract from uh, Carey's commentary and what he has to say about this. How can Jonah be so grieved at all this good news? At the core of it is his feeling that he has been set up, made to look like a fool. And in all fairness to Jonah, he has been. He thought he knew what he was saying when he called to Nineveh and said, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overturned. And then Carey kind of explains about that pun 
about overturn having other meanings that we talked about last time so let me pick up a little bit later on in that paragraph he says now jonah realizes that he got it wrong that god had always planned to operate quite independently of him as if his thoughts were not jonah's thoughts and it grieves jonah to the core it is a great evil to him that the lord repents of the evil his is the wrath of a theologian whose theology does not pan out i'm going to read that last sentence again his is the wrath of a theologian whose theology does not pan out yikes (laughs) i think it's such a good way of putting it though you know jonah had in his head the way that god was going to act and the way that he understood prophecy to be and that this is how God is going to be, and he had decided, Jonah had decided, that was how God was going to act. God then doesn't act like that, and Jonah gets really annoyed. (laughs) And it raises a good question for us, doesn't it? How do we react when God responds differently to how we expected him to? Now, this might be situational, but it might also be a theological Um, as Kerry suggests here and as I was reading through this immediately what came to mind for me was um, in cases of healing when people pray for healing and the way that people's different theologies around how God heals can really affect um, how they respond to what happens so for example if somebody is a um, cessationist that means somebody that that doesn't believe the gifts of the spirit um are exist today basically they believe things like healing and speaking in tongues and all of that only happened in the early church and that was it um if they so if they don't believe that healing can happen at all that god doesn't do that through people anymore and they see somebody get healed through prayer in the name of jesus (laughs) they could react something like this but on the other side of the spectrum as well say there was a charismatic person who really does believe in the gift of the spirit um for today and has seen healing and miracles and has prayed for people and they've got healed and then they pray for somebody and they don't get healed and they don't know why <laughs> um maybe they think they don't have enough faith or whatever it is they can't figure out why it is god hasn't healed that person maybe they could respond in this way too and that's just one example but i think it highlights such an important thing that when we are thinking about theology um theology sometimes seems like a big word but really all it means is our idea of of how god works and who god is right so when we're thinking about our theology we have to be humble with it um it's so important that our theology does not come above god does not does not sit higher than god so when god acts in a way that doesn't fit our interpretations we then get angry with god (laughs) rather than allowing our theology to help us honor god and understand god which is what theology should be for it's there to help us understand god it should all be grounded in the bible 
um, um, and have a reverence for God at the heart of it and understanding that God is so much bigger than us, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. But here Jonah has has decided his theology, his idea of, of his kind of theology of prophecy and what's going to happen and how God is going to respond to evil people. He has decided what he wants that to look like. And so when God does something different, it's like he's kind of re- rejecting God for that. And actually, it's quite an easy trap to fall into when we start to elevate our understanding of how things work above wanting to see God's grace and mercy in the world. Um, So it's definitely a challenge. And I think when we first read this, we just think, oh, Jonah's being so ridiculous. But when we think about it like that, it's really something for us to be aware of. and just to keep tabs on in our own hearts and uh, in the places that we're learning from, the people that we listen to, have they got this humility about them, understanding that that their theology is there to serve God's mission um, and not the other way around. <laughs> so let's keep reading. We hear that now Jonah prays to God and gets very annoyed with him. Um, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah here is (laughs) really not happy, is he? He's like, I told you so. And he quotes the verse that is repeated again and again in the Old Testament that God is slow to anger um, and has this steadfast love. He knows that. And he's just like, oh my goodness, I should have seen this coming. I didn't want this to happen. Now you've gone and and been kind and merciful. I just can't be bothered anymore. It's better for me to die. And this is written deliberately, melodramatically. Um, We talked about the genre at the beginning of this series and everything's kind of uh, hyperbolic um, and over the top. Um, And that's what's happening here. Jonah's meant to seem kind of funny here. It's, It's meant to be that way. This prophet, this supposed man of God, being really melodramatic about the fact that that somebody has actually responded to um what he said and has actually repented (laughs) it's meant to be funny and god asks him this really interesting question do you do well to be angry other translations say have you any right to be angry is it right for you to be angry about this God is now focusing in on Jonah's own decisions. This isn't now about the wider story of what's going on, which is the rest of the book has mostly been. He's now focusing on Jonah. And uh, for me, this just reminds me so much of when you get a conviction of the Holy Spirit um, and God just has that way of just asking the right question in the right way. And you go, oh my goodness, yeah no you're so right I should not have done that or I should not have thought that um it just reminds me of that but anyway God does this to Jonah and he's trying to make Jonah reflect 
on himself and the way that he's acting but rather than responding to that Jenny just ignores him again and walks off let me read you an extract from the Tyndale commentary it says ironically having condemned God for not being angry Jonah is now challenged concerning his own anger in the verses which follow God responds to Jonah's rage by subjecting him to the intense heat of the eastern climate This treatment takes on a special significance when one observes that the Hebrew verb harah means not only to be angry, but also to be hot. (laughs) So that's just a fun little little fact for you there. Another kind of pun in this text. Um, So let's read the last part. And this is the bit that kind of plays out like a parable. So from verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, Is it better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry for the plant, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant. For which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And that's the end of the book. (laughs) So let's have a really quick look through this ending and think about what on earth is going on so first thing Jonah walks to the east out of the city now going to the east is it's kind of symbolic of um, people leaving Eden of Adam and Eve leaving Eden going east walking away from what is God's way in the same way that they left to the east Jonah's leaving to the east here so there's a very subtle connection there Jonah goes and makes a booth now a booth um, in the Hebrew is called a sukkah and these are made in the festival of Sukkot which is the festival of booths or sometimes called the feast of tabernacles and this remembers when the Israelites were in the desert living in tents so these booths are sort of tent-like structures um, and they, it reminds the Jewish people of how they had to at that time fully rely on God fully trust God um, and it's around the same time as the harvest so they kind of decorate these booths with all the harvest to to thank God for the harvest. It's something that is commanded of the Israelites in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23 verses 42 to 43 says live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So it's remembering that time of the exodus, fully trusting on God. Um, Also, 
there is sort of a eschatological point to this looking ahead uh, which we find in Zechariah 14 and let me just read you what Kerry says about that because he explains it way better than I can one last association is eschatological so to do with end times during the festival of booths Israel is commanded to welcome Gentiles strangers and foreigners within their gates including servants in a worldwide extension of this hospitality, the last days will see the people of the nations that once gathered around Jerusalem to besiege it, and all those who survived the wrath of God, gathering to celebrate the festival of booths, to rejoice in the Lord together with Israel. Zechariah 14:16. Outside of such celebration, there'll be nothing but drought and plague. So it's saying that in the end times, God is going to bring in some of the Gentiles um, sort of into his family to experience his goodness. And so Jonah doing this is kind of ironic because he's building this booth, but at the same time, he's not trusting God, which is meant to be the significance of it. And he's equally hoping for the destruction of a Gentile city. Now, this isn't just about Jonah. Jonah here could also represent the people of God. God's trying to teach this to Jonah, but also is is hinting to the anyone that considers himself a person of God um, the Israelites here that they have to do these things they have to trust him but also the purpose of Israel is to be a light to the nations and they must not despise the Gentiles they must realize that the ultimate goal is for them to show the Gentiles how amazing God is um, and how wonderful it is to be people of God and, and Jonah's doing neither of those things so it's, it's really ironic and um, for people reading this text who know about that festival they would see that immediately and be like gosh this Jonah guy is just doing it again he's completely completely doing the opposite of what he's meant to be doing as a prophet and as a man of God so he sits in his booth and he watches the city he's waiting to see if they have really repented it's almost like he wants to see god destroy it as god destroyed sodom and gomorrah get get it all tumbling down in front of his eyes it seems like he doesn't believe that they've truly repented or that they'll change their minds again soon so he's sitting there waiting for that stubbornly god makes this plant grow over his booth now booths don't necessarily have full roofs so although he would have had some shade it wouldn't have been complete it would have still been hot um so god gives him this plant that grows over it and gives him some shade now shade in the bible um tends to represent protection um and also plants are all over the bible aren't they as a theme as a as a metaphor um, for God's life and for God's plans if you think about vines um, talking about like the line of David leading into the Messiah um, trees the tree of life back at the beginning in Genesis that we see then in Revelation and all this kind of tree and plant and vine imagery that goes all the way through the Bible talking about God's plans and purposes so it's like God's plans and purposes here are sort of protecting Jonah and giving him this shade um, and it's saving him in a way. He's delivering him from the heat of the day. This comes back to the whole theme of the book of Jonah, that salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. God is the one that is providing 
salvation from the heat to Jonah. Um, he's providing protection to Jonah. He's providing shade to Jonah. That is him doing that um, through this sort of representative plant that sort of represents how his plans and purposes protect and shade people. Um, so Jonah's really happy about that. He rejoices about that, that he is protected under under this plant that God has provided. In the same way, perhaps, Israelites rejoice at the fact that they are protected by God um, in the covenant. But next, God provides a worm that eats away at the plant and the plant no longer gives shade. And also the east wind, which is like not pleasant at all on a very hot day like this. It's a hot, hot wind. Um, so what's the point in this? Let me read to you from the Tyndale commentary again. It says, although verses 6 and 7 have almost identical beginnings, they introduce two opposite aspects of God's nature. Just to talk about the plant first of all. His ability to deliver and to destroy. So that's the worm and the wind. The contrast between these is further emphasised by the use in verse 6, but not in verse 7, of the divine name, the Lord, which is particularly associated with mercy and deliverance. In a work which stresses divine compassion and mercy, the destruction of the gourd, the plant, appears strangely out of place. It dramatically reveals, however, that God's sovereignty is not restricted to acts of compassion. As the one who gives life, he also has the right to bring it to an end. Furthermore, the destruction of the plant by the worm, both divinely appointed, symbolises the future destruction of Israel by the Assyrians. Through this incident, God highlights the root cause of Jonah's antagonism. So God is reminding Jonah who he is. God is the judge, and he is the one, he can be merciful and gracious, but he's also one that brings about judgment and therefore destruction of evil things um and so he's reminding jonah of his sovereignty in the way that he commands this plant and then the plant gets destroyed and in that he's speaking through all these metaphors into the story of israel and reminding them that this is about him (laughs) they are his people but this is about him and it's about his his plans Um, and reminding them not to be like Jonah um, and getting annoyed with God for not acting the way that they want him to act. Um, And so God challenges Jonah about why he cares so much about this plant, the thing that he didn't even bring about or construct. And it's kind of like he's saying to Jonah, look, at least you care about something, right? It's a plant bit ridiculous but you care about something we found a caring emotion in you Jonah (laughs) and he humors Jonah for a moment and tries to explain to him that in the way that he cares about this plant why should he not care about the people that he's created um even though they are entangled in evil so I just want to read a quote from Tim Mackey's sermon on this Tim Mackey um the head of the bible project amazing scholar i just want to read a bit from what he says about this and i'll i'll tag the full sermon in the show notes if you want to listen to it it's really good tim Mackey puts it like this jonah we're all laughing at you you're quite ridiculous right now 
but I'll just give that to you. That's a good thing. You should be concerned about something other than yourself. Good for you, Jonah. So he's kind of, Tim Mack is talking from God's perspective here. Let me just compare that. Wouldn't it be okay? Is it okay with you, Jonah, if I were to have a strong and emotional concern about something other than myself, and that concern is quite similar to yours, maybe something more significant you might grant me, like the lives of thousands upon thousands of human beings who are made in my image. It comes back to the central theme of the book of Jonah that we've been looking at this whole time through all this series, that salvation comes from the Lord. Um, God is allowed to care about people that we think are not worthy of his mercy. (laughs) And he loves people we consider our enemies just as much as he loves us. Um, Only he can save. You know, there's a reminder here, and in this this weird parable at the end, that so many layers to this parable. I honestly, when I was looking into this, there's so much I could say about it, and I hope the little bits I've touched on has given you a bit more of a picture of what's going on. There's a lot of levels here. He's talking to Jonah, and he's also sort of talking to Israel, um, and reminding them that that Israel are there to be his people and to be part of his plans. Um, and he's not there to serve their plans he is god he is sovereign um he can bring about destruction as part of justice but equally he can be full of compassion and grace and mercy and he gives the opportunity to people to repent um and he's reminding jonah and the readers i suppose that that has to be okay we can't control who god is allowed to forgive and uh, that is because he loves the people that he's created he loves these people in Nineveh even though he says they don't know their right from their left like they don't know what goodness even is he still loves them and he still gives them this chance to repent and turn to him and um thankfully they do at this point unfortunately it doesn't last uh, if you read ahead and see the narrative with Assyria in the bible but the point stands God is king Um, salvation comes from him and that's something that we should rejoice in not be angry about yeah there's there's a lot there's really a lot and I I recommend that Carey commentary I'm referencing if you really want to get into detail it's very in detail about all the kind of imagery that's going on in that little parable bit at the end so much detail so if you want that detail have a look at that but I hope that helped you a little bit with chapter four um and understanding what's going on there (laughs) nothing else remember from Jonah salvation belongs to the lord that's what it's all about that's what it is all about i hope you've enjoyed going through the book with me um i've really enjoyed it i never realized there was so much depth to jonah like the more i've studied it for this podcast series i'm like wow there's so much going on here and so much more than just a story of someone being swallowed by a big fish um i hope you've liked it and next time we're gonna think about the new testament about jesus when he talks about the sign of jonah and understanding everything we know now about Jonah and everything we've learnt, 
how do we interpret what Jesus means there differently? So I hope you'll join me for that next episode. Uh, It's available now if you want to go and listen to it. I'll see you there. so much for joining me for today's podcast if you have five minutes to leave a review of this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on that would be really really helpful and it would help more people like us who might enjoy studying the bible to find the podcast and to join us in our journey if you'd like to support me in making this podcast financially you can use the buy me a coffee link that is in the show notes to just donate a little bit towards making these resources you can also follow me over on instagram at bible with megan or one word where i update everything that's going on and have content on there as well so i really look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the bible with megan podcast